What's going on? What's going on? It's your man, Mr. 420, and we are back for another episode of Verbalize. I want to thank y'all for tuning in. This episode, we will be talking about Black Wall Street and the Tulsa, Oklahoma riot. So I don't know if if any of y'all know about this or if any of y'all have heard about this or heard a little bit about it but we gonna get down to nitty-gritty on it and um i would just appreciate you guys leaving your feedbacks and and i appreciate y'all listening definitely appreciate y'all listening i appreciate y'all rocking with me uh i thank y'all and we gonna get started here so black wall street okay There was a riot on Black Wall Street. Black Wall Street was a area in Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the Greenwood District. Okay. Booker T. Washington named the area Negro Wall Street of America. Then it was updated to Black Wall Street after the Civil Rights Movement. Excuse me. Um, Tusla, Oklahoma, when it was Black Wall Street, had a population of 11,000 and 108 black owned businesses, two black schools, two movie theaters, several doctor's offices. Drug store, grocery store, dry cleaners, hotels. They had cab service. They had bus service. They had, you know, almost anything that we could think of that we needed today. I mean, that we needed at that time, we had. You know, it was, it was like the black mecca in America. You know, we had it all. And... In less than 24 hours, 36 square blocks was destroyed on May 31st, 1921 by a white mob, which in the state of Oklahoma at the time, the KKK was highly active and large in numbers. Okay, so this all kind of began... Back in 19, I'm sorry, back in 1889, April 2nd, after the Civil War, President Benjamin Harrison opened Oklahoma to new settlement and 50,000 settlers claimed 2 million acres in 24 hours. Can you imagine that? 50,000 people? Two million acres just in 24 hours claimed. So pretty much almost the whole state, I guess. Almost. I don't, I don't even know if it's almost. I'm not even sure how big an acre is. I know it's a lot. <laughs> so, but uh, most of the people that was the settlers coming in, they was either blacks, Indians, or whites. So the 
population of blacks from 1890 was about mm, about 3,000. Give or take a little. By 1900, the population jumped to over 50,000. You know, and that means something. That means something right there. Like something was jumping there in, in the 10 years. And uh, there was a oil. There was oil in Tulsa, Oklahoma that they discovered. So uh, that brought in all the money, you know. That brought in all the money. Um, Edwin McCabe was a state auditor of Kansas and moved to Oklahoma in 1889. And he founded the town of Lanston. He had a vision of making Oklahoma an all-black state. Now, at this point, you know, when, when, when he got there, it was already 27 all-black towns you know, established, and and this was before Oklahoma was considered a state in its own, you know, because before it it was split into two territories, you had the Oklahoma Territory, and you had the Indian Territory, so Oklahoma, in fact, it, it didn't even become a state until 1907, and you know what, when it became a state, the first bill created and approved was to segregate the state. But still, black people stayed. You know, we ain't gonna run from it. Take a sip of my coffee, you know. Oh, I make the best coffee. I'm sorry, I do. I do. But uh, yeah, black people stayed. So, in 1905, oil was discovered. And the first black business came up. It was a grocery store on the corner of Greenwood and Archer Street, owned by blacks. So about a dozen black entrepreneurs got together to start up businesses because blacks, you know, wasn't able to shop or eat or do anything in Oklahoma besides the part that they lived in, you know, because it was segregated. It was divided into North Tulsa and South Tulsa. Tulsa. I keep saying that wrong. Tulsa. So anyway, but in, in, in the North part where the blacks was at, it was very small region, you know, that, that we could, could, could live in. In fact, it was, it was surrounded by whites. But we would, uh, we did what we had to do, you know. So, it was still dominantly a white state, dominantly. And then, um, 1919, there had been over 25 major race riots throughout the U.S. Due to, due to multiple black cities and towns doing pretty damn well for themselves, you know. 
being independent, you know, because they weren't helping us. So we had to do it on our own, and we was doing pretty good. We was doing pretty much better than they was. And, you know, they had a problem with that. So, also, as one of them major riots in Chicago in 1919, they had a race riot that killed 38 blacks and over a thousand black families was left homeless. A thousand black families left homeless. These race riots would be white citizens and police with KKK attacking the black cities and or towns that these blacks had lived in, you know? So this, uh, this riot all began it, 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 it started from a 19-year-old black man or black kid, some people would say, named Dick Rowland, okay? So they said it all started because of him, okay? So he worked in downtown Tulsa, and that was all the blacks could do in downtown Tulsa is work, you know, and... He was a shoe shiner. So back then, you know, it, it, it was common for whites and blacks, you know, to have that job. You know, it, it, it wasn't like, you know, now, like, they don't exist. Or if they do exist, you know, it ain't nothing major. You know, it's, it's real something, it's something small, at least where I've seen. But the, uh, that, that, that job actually, you know, could potentially pay pretty good especially if you was at a, a location that was highly busy and you was shining people's shoes that got paid highly well you could get a dollar tip a dollar tip back then shit might be like a hundred dollars now or shit might be a hundred dollars now to do the way prices done done jump like crazy but i mean that was a lot of money back then you know so you know, doing that, you know, he, that, that, that gave him access to work in downtown Tulsa. Okay, so, while doing that, he would, uh, stop at this building called the, uh, Drexel Building, and he would stop there to use the restroom, you know, and witnesses verified that, you know, they would see him come through here and there. You know, and he would just go to use the bathroom. And, and then it was the only place that blacks could use the bathroom in downtown Tulsa. So he goes to this building just to use the restroom. And he had to take the elevator because the ele- the bathroom was on the top floor. So the, the the building wasn't huge; it was anywhere from four floors to six floors. You know, they, they wasn't no skyscrapers, nothing like that. 
but it, it was everything was old fashioned, you know. So the elevator had a elevator operator that controlled the elevator when you went to go get on. And there was a young white woman by the name of Sarah Page. Okay, so to this day, no one truly knows what happened in that elevator. They have said that what probably started everything, he was entering the elevator and he stumbled. And when he stumbled, he kind of bumped or stumbled into Sarah Page. And once he did that, you know, everything else hit the fan. So when he did that, next thing people know is that the elevator doors open up and Dick Rowland comes out running and Sarah Page is in the elevator and she's screaming. So the next morning, Dick Rowland is arrested and taken straight to jail. And multiple stories was rumoring around the city that he hit her or he he touched her or he knocked her down, you know, something along those lines. Well, there was a newspaper, the, the, the major newspaper for Tulsa, Oklahoma, ran a story on the incident titled, they titled the story, if I'm not mistaken, um, it was the uh, headline on the front page. Um, it 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 could have been like on the second page or something like that, but it it titled "Nab Negro for Attacking Girl in Elevator." You know, like like dang. But back then, you know. They could say stuff like that and it wouldn't bother anybody. It, it was normal, you know. So, after that hit the streets, people went crazy. And it hit the streets about 3 o'clock the uh, next day. Right after... Well, he got arrested in the morning, and the next day is when he was arrested. The next morning, he was arrested, and they came to his house and arrested him, and he was in jail at at the courthouse. They had a jail in there, and the story... In the paper, under the headline, says that Dick Rowland had raped a white woman in the elevator. Now, remind you, the elevator was only like four to six floors tall, you know, so, and it was filled with white people, you know, so really, he's really going to do that in an elevator, you know, like, he could possibly get away. Come on now. Ain't, ain't no telling what happened. He probably didn't even touch her at all. He probably just 
said something, not not even say anything first. She probably said something and, and he responded and she may have said something like, well, you, she may have said something smart and he may have just replied humbly, but intelligently and that pissed her off because he was intelligent. You know, we don't know. We don't know. But, uh, pretty much after that, you know, that was, that was when the, the, the rivals starting to boil up. Excuse me. So, the blacks in North Tulsa decided to to take a stand and not let this 19-year-old black man or black young man be lynched for a rape accusation in an elevator in a building full of whites. You know, so the black men rushed to the courthouse with firearms to help defend the courthouse with the police that was outnumbered and having a hard time trying to keep the white mob out of the courthouse and trying to kill Dick Rowland. So when the black men got there, the police assured them that Rowland would be okay, he would be safe, when nothing happened to him, and told the men, either ordered them or convinced them, whatever, they had them to go back to Greenwood. And of course the white mob stayed, you know. And you talking about a mob of, of about one to two, maybe 300 people. And this is right after the paper hit. So you talking maybe what, four or five o'clock, you know? So then here it is 10 o'clock at night and the mob has reached over 2000 people, you know? So early in the morning, March 31st, the same mob entered Greenwood and, and and the white police officers that was like assigned to the Greenwood area, they stopped doing their job as police officers and started deputizing civilians, you know, and was basically giving them the okay to do whatever to blacks, you know? So, they was in gun battles with blacks, because you know the blacks, we was trying to defend our, th- our, 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 our homes, our businesses, you know, so they was in gun battles, you know, and some blacks was getting beat, you know, horribly, and some was just being detained. Most of the other blacks that wasn't beaten or killed was took into detention centers. <clears throat> Which that left a lot of the homes and businesses defenseless. So, by June 1st, the next morning after the riots, the businesses was robbed and burnt down. Homes was broken into. And... People was either removed from their homes, beat or killed, you know, and by, I guess, nine o'clock around there, 
um, on June 1st, the National Guard came in. They came in 17 hours after Dick Rowland was taken to jail. National Guard gets there. They declare martial law. About 11 o'clock, noonish, whatever, they came in, they checked out the whole situation, and martial law was started. The National Guard went ahead and they put a stop to the rioting, the burning of buildings, the violence. You know, and, and then they rounded up all the black people that were still left and took them to detention centers. And the rioters, the, the, the white mob, they was, peep this, they was disarmed and sent the fuck home. Sent home. It's estimated that 300 blacks died in that riot. They said that even rioters was even dropping kerosene tanks on top of houses from crop dusting planes. And nitroglycerin was being dropped, you know, on the houses to keep the fires from going out. You know what I'm saying? To keep the fires going and make it burn more. You know, so yeah, it was 300 dead, 6,000 in detention centers, and over a thousand homes and businesses completely destroyed. We talking over five million dollars in damage. Compared to to today's money economy, it'll be in the billions, easily in the billions. The black people in the detention centers was held for several days and hadn't committed any crimes. They were the victims. But of course, some would probably say they put them in there for their safety. You know, yeah. So once release of of the blacks, they went ahead and went back to work. Now, after they released them, it wasn't like they just opened up the jail or the detention center and let them go. What they did was they had the employers, the white employers that the blacks had worked for that did not work in Greenwood, you know, because this was going on for the state of Oklahoma. You know, they took all the blacks that they could and, and, and locked them up, you know. So the ones that work, I'm, I'm sorry, not for the state, for the city of Tulsa. <clears throat> they would have them have wear tags with their name, you know, and what the job is and where the job is at. And the employer would have to sign it to sign them to be released from the detention center, basically, you know, into their care, you know, into their custody, basically, you know, so that, 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 that sounds like a, a another form of, uh, possibly slavery or, uh, control, 
I mean, of course it was controlled, you know. But, um, but yeah, so they had to wear these tags, you know, to identify where they belonged at. But uh, the Red Cross did help. You know, they spent like $100,000 back then, you know, $100,000 in food and building materials to help strengthen the tents because the Red Cross provided the people that were still there with tents that, that didn't have a home. Nobody had a home. All of them was gone. But they had tents. So, I guess maybe about a week or so later, you know, um, a reconstruction committee is established. You know, and by the white people, the political people of the state of Oklahoma. And it was to rebuild Greenwood. But instead, they used the land to make an industrial park. And a new fire ordinance is established saying all construction must meet new tough requirements. Which would make it completely impossible to rebuild Greenwood. You know, and... Here comes Buck C. Franklin, who had a, uh, he, he was a lawyer in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he had a office that was destroyed in the riot. And he had just moved there a few months before the riot. That's the crazy part. Like, damn, you know, and he uh, challenged the ordinance and the Supreme Court lifted the tough requirements to clear the blacks to rebuild, you know? So, um, a week after the riot, a jury is put together, you know, to investigate and charge the white people that was responsible for the riot. And the grand jury, you know, they... (laughs) They reported that uh, black people brought it on themselves. You know, and uh, the Tulsa newspaper said that it, it, it had an article saying black agitators blame for riot. Like, wow. Really? So, charges was filed against various white people but was all dismissed in court. Um, in the case of Dick Rowland's rape against Sarah Page was thrown out and Dick Rowland was cleared of all charges. And Greenwood is rebuilt by blacks and was very well off in the 1930s and 1940s until desegregation was in place. And that messed up the economy for Greenwood because blacks started shopping in the whites, in in the white areas also. They still shop in the black areas, but they shop in the white areas as well. 
So instead of all that money staying in a black neighborhood, it got divided into other areas. So that made the the black Wall Street thing go down. You know, and it is is it's not that, you know, the black shouldn't have did that. I mean, well, kind of, you know. Just because they said we could have, you shouldn't have fucked with them. You know, you, you see what they had just had done, you know, and we wasn't clear out of, you know, harsh racial issues back then. You know, we were still deep in it. You know, when I say we, I'm saying that's black people, you know. Um, so it, it was, it was just, the whole thing was just unfortunate. You know, once the desegregation came along, it just brought down the economy, basically. You know, but in the 1960s, the federal government contributed to the communities to climb and, and build again. But it was to build a highway that ran right through Greenwood. <laughs> you know, so it really wasn't a hell. It was just something to, I guess, move out what was even left then. You know. So my question is this. Why is it that the right of Tulsa has never been taught in schools in history class. Why isn't it talked about? Why isn't it there a movie on it? You know, I did find a documentary on it. I had to look for it. You know, it was really only one full documentary. You know, I, I watched one on it that was about 45 minutes long. Uh, I seen a couple other ones. They was only maybe like 10 minutes long. One was seven minutes long. You know, why is this kept on a hush? You know, why is it kept on a hush? Uh, the articles from that Tulsa newspaper was removed from the archives for them to, you know, keep it on a hush. You know, why? Why are they trying to hide it? Now, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in 1989, a Greenwood Cultural Center was opened, and it was to show, you know, the history of the riot and the rise up of the blacks after the riot. So, and then in 1996, a monument was built for Black Wall Street for the 75th anniversary. And we're coming up on... The 100-year anniversary. Next year, March 31st, will be 100-year anniversary since that riot. So now my question is this. After knowing all this, you know, and hearing about it and doing your own research on it, you know, what do you guys think about if there was another Black Wall Street in today's time? Could it happen? And, it, and if it could, would it? And how, how valuable would it really be? And, and would it be a place of peace for blacks? You know, when I say peace, I'm saying free from racial problems, free from violence. You know, I mean, of course, yeah, people gonna argue. You know, people may 
fuss and fight, you know. But as far as like black skin and blacks, that ends. Not saying that whites is the cause of black skin and blacks. Not at all. It's not what I'm saying. However, there is a small little window that uh, that puts the whites in a area that kind of con- that kind of causes blacks to do what we do and that is because they are in power in the high places as far as like okay the music that you know blacks put out that most some blacks put out the, the violent music you know the people of some of these labels that has these artists that put these these songs out, some of them are owned by whites, you know, and of course they allow they 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 push that. They say, yeah, go ahead, talk about that. You free to talk about whatever you want, yeah, you know. And it's like it's it's a thin line with that. You know, it's it's a thin line. It's it's either you talking about what you would literally do or have done, or you're telling stories of what has went on in your neighborhood, you know, or or stories of other neighborhoods. So, you know, it, it's it's just it's it's depending on who is coming from, how they're putting it out there, and who hears it and how they accept it, you know. If, if, if you hear in a song that, you know, dude say he'll pull out, shoot you, kill you, you know, that you can take that as, oh, okay, I'm going to start doing that too. Or you can take that as, oh, man, that's what people are doing out there. We need to try to stop that. You know what I'm saying? But... You know, we, we we don't live in that world where blacks are as one as they used to be. You know, it's it's too many people that's out for just themselves. And as black people, we need to band together because ain't nobody looking out for us but us. And we barely doing that. All the other races, they look out for each other, hands down. Except us. Why is that? Why is that? You know, this this riot thing, you know, it, it, it tore up something that could have been wild. <laughs> you know, wild. And I'm not surprised in the in the sense of that at that time the whites was just threatened. Because that is not something that was truly necessary, you know, to take out a whole neighborhood, you know, town, area for what one person has done or allegedly has done. You know, no, they was threatened. We we was creeping on the come up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We we had power. You know, we was, but but we was independent. We wouldn't bother nobody. We was staying in our own lane. Building, trying to stay in our own lane. And 
um, what would have been amazing or what would have been scary at the same time. And I say scary, well, let me say this. So, Edward McCabe, you know, he wanted to make Oklahoma an all-black state. And that would have been great and amazing and scary. It would have been scary because Oklahoma is in the city, is in the middle of the country, dead smack in the middle. We would have been surrounded by everything and everybody else. Would you know what I'm saying? Would come come get us dead smack in the middle. I mean, come get us at any given time from any angle. And if that's the only black place dead smack in the middle, you know, no, that wasn't gonna work. And then we were gonna have to expand. You know, if they gave us a state, they weren't gonna give us no more. You know. But it'd have been beautiful because who knows where blacks would be at today if Black Wall Street had to thrive or even came back and thrived twice as much you know so we need to learn about some of this type of history you know because they're not going to teach our kids you know stuff like this in that documentary I was watching, you know, they said that the white people, not from Oklahoma, but higher up, you know, in the rankings for, for the state of Oklahoma, they was embarrassed, you know, that the other whites had did that. And these was the professional whites that had businesses. They was trying to help build America on a larger scale. The people that came and rioted was just your regular, everyday, working right white people. And that's what happened. You know, something got took out of context of what really happened. And they just went crazy on us. Now just think about, still, think about what we could be. Can we do it again? Should we do it again? Um, this this day and time, I think it would, would would benefit at the same time, and at the same time, it it probably would cause a different type of issue, you know, because that's where we live in right now. They came out with the internet, and look at all the issues the internet has brought. You got hacking, you got stalkers, you know, you got all types of different issues that came out after the internet. Social media, that that came out to be, you know, just to connect friends and stuff like that together. And next thing you know, it is what it is today. Social media, it can be horrible. It can be a great thing, depending on how you're using it. You know, everybody... I think, I say in, in within the next 10 years, everybody will be a victim of social media in some form or another, or the internet period, some form or another, where you have been hacked, whether you've been bullied, whether you've been 
then whatever, you know, everybody's going to be a victim of the internet, social media, 10 years, everybody. There's not one person that can say, well, nothing happened to me due to the internet. Shit. <laughs> Shit, yeah, it will. Just give it time. So, that's the end of our show. I just wanted to drop this jewel on y'all and hope it pay, you know. Hope y'all listen to this and do your research and raise some questions, you know. Hopefully the, the right person uh, 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 hear about this and say, yeah, this does need to be exposed a little more, you know, for awareness, you know, just for, you know, people to know our history, not to start up anything, you know, and say, well, hey, we want some payback for that. No, but we need to know our history because they they won't teach it to us. Why is that? They know something we don't know. They hiding the history. That's what that's what this show is about. Putting out there the truth and why certain things are not talked about. Why is it a hush? Why is it being you know, swept under the rug. And, you know, here I'm going to verbalize it, <laughs> you know. So that's my show for today. And I thank y'all for tuning in. Tune in with me for the next episode where we will be. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. Because a lot of times I, I say we may go and talk about this, this, and that, and next thing you know, I'm done did some research on something else, and I'm doing a totally different episode to what I said I was gonna do. So I will see y'all next time. Well, I ain't gonna see nobody. Hope y'all listen to me for next episode. I thank y'all for tuning in. I appreciate y'all. Keep subscribing and listening and liking, and I appreciate y'all. This has been another episode of Verbalize. I'm your host, Mr. 420. Y'all be safe, take care, and love each other.